So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. And hello again, Barry. Uh, he, of course, being our ambassador for San Jose, California, uh, who has sent me this unlikely bit of feedback on last week's show. Uh, he says, Ollie, last week you discussed Alive Core products in the Zeitgeist. I actually have an Alive Core Cardia portable EKG monitor. Uh, Yeah, I had suggested that probably our target demographic don't have one of those. Uh, But uh, Barry continues, It works really well with my iPhone and is pretty nifty. I thought it a worthwhile thing to get after my quadruple bypass last November. Uh, Well... Barry, I am pleased to hear that Ollie Peart got something right, uh, but obviously more to the point that you seem to be recovering well from your big operation, and uh, love to you from all the man crew. Uh, obviously, I'd wish any man fan well, but uh, as man ambassador, Barry, you have my priority in sympathy. Uh, right, on to this week's show, and the origins of our middle feature today lie with my friend Emma, who proudly posted on her Facebook wall a couple of months ago a triumphant photo of her living room. She just moved house. There were lots of pictures of fairy lights and candles and that kind of thing. And the caption said, Special thanks to an amazing woman, Nicola. I massively struggle to let go of sentimental items, but Nicola has helped me to declutter and be free of stuff that doesn't serve a purpose. It's been emotional, but I couldn't have done it without her. And I'm in love with my clutter-free new home. Uh, Well, you know me, that was enough to inspire a private message demanding that Emma tell me who this Nicola was so that I could interview her. Uh, And uh, presto, here's the episode. She is a professional organiser and declutterer. So um, if you've ever found yourself standing in the middle of a pile of domestic crap thinking, how am I ever going to live here again? And I think that's most of us. Then I think you'll find much to enjoy in our interview today. Uh, Before we get going, though, big thanks to everybody who's written to us recently, either with a question for the foxhole or a challenge for Ollie or just a bit of feedback or whatever, and mentioned in passing that our show is your favourite podcast. I do not take that for granted. That is massive news. Um, You know, we started the show in 2015. And I've always said my goal, obviously, is to increase the size of the audience to the show, but more importantly, to actually make sure that the audience that we have love the show. So it really is satisfying when you write to us and tell us you think that we are your favourite podcast. And if we genuinely are, I've got a favour to ask of you. Can I ask you to vote for us in the British Podcast Awards? There is a listener choice category. It's dead easy. I've just done it myself. Apparently there isn't a rule against that. All you need to do is go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. Um, And then in the search bar, you just type in The Modern Man, remember with two N's, and then our show comes up and then you click vote and that is it. Um, And then, look, we're not going to beat Mayo and Kermode, are we? But, you know, we might just scrape the top 10 and that would be jolly nice. britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. Pause me, do it now. Thank you. 
Uh, right, on this week's show, uh, you will learn how Ollie Peart met his fiancée, you'll learn how to choose the perfect wig for you to wear this season, and you'll learn what you should do with 15 bottles of bleach. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. For, you know, the first year of her departing us, I did used to smell it. Used to, you know, it was her smell. When does bereavement turn to hoarding? How to organise the belongings you've inherited. And they had always imagined what they called their spirit cock. And Alex Fox discovers there's more to the clitoris than meets the eye. But first, it's time for the zeitgeist, all the trends you need to know about for the week ahead, with a man with whom I've just been sharing some seriously bad taste jokes that we literally can never speak of on mic. No, I'm not saying them. It's Ollie Pitt. Hello. Uh, what should we be, um, you know, vaguely aware of this week? Internet remote. We've all done this. You're on your lunch break. You go and heat up your soup and you sit down at your desk with your computer in front of you and you think, oh, I just want to watch something a bit funny, a bit interesting I'll yeah. go on YouTube. News bloopers 2017, I'm telling you. It's two weeks running, I'll mention it now. News be funny, it's always a winner. You really are an anomaly. I sit there and I type away looking for stuff, but after about 15, 20 minutes, you realise that you've spent your time looking for something to watch and you're not actually watching anything. Right. Introducing Neverthink.tv. Okay. This is an app, it's also available actually uh, within your browser, that is designed much like a TV remote control. I think I've seen this app, actually. It's been around for a couple of years, hasn't it? And it curates videos on YouTube, basically. It's newly released on the Google Play Store. Oh, okay. Maybe, well, I've got an iPhone, yeah, so maybe I've got the old version. But the principle's really simple. It's uh, various buttons that are named, like, gaming, discover, tech news, world news, Mm. and you tap it, Comes up with a little graphic that kind of goes like the fuzz of your TV. Oh, and that's then, weird. And then it, no, it's not because no, then it, it starts it's playing a unnecessary, video. Unnecessary, isn't it? It's like when the podcast app used to be represented by a reel-to-reel tape machine. I mean, it's just unnecessary. Well, no, I, I, I don't think it is, and I'll tell you why. Because when you click it and you get that little what is essentially a loading screen, yeah, you do feel like you're straight into the content, so you're straight into the video, and that is like TV because you sit down, you turn it on, and you're into it. And it is more like a TV watching experience. But does it not have a pre-roll ad on it then? There's none of that. No, ne- never. Well, I haven't seen one. How does well, it monetize then? I wonder. Oh, well, well, that's an interesting one. I'm not a tech bod. I'm not a Silicon Valley man. Yeah. Well, I don't think they know how to monetize things either. They just hope to sell to Zuckerberg, don't they? I expect so. Yeah. But what's good about it is that the content that they supply on there is not curated by an algorithm. There's mm. people that are going through stuff, watching acres and acres of videos and posting them on there. Is it personalised to you or is it no. really... No. So actually it is just like TV. As yes. in like, I mean, okay, there might be people deciding it, but it's still someone else's personal preferences of what you might find interesting. We live in a world where we're bombarded by choice, aren't we? I quite like the idea of somebody picking stuff for me to watch. I don't want to buy a newspaper and then have to choose the stories that I want to read. In fact, I hate that on apps. What kind of news do you want? I don't care. Can you just choose me the news? You're the guy that's getting paid all the money to find me the good stories. Get on with your job. That's what I want. I like the world like that. And that's why I, I really like TV in that respect. I love turning it on and finding something that I wouldn't necessarily know about. You know what would be good, Ollie? Some sort of magazine-style podcast which has a different middle feature each week which is unpredictable yet somehow consistent. Fantastic idea. If yeah. only somebody was we'll doing catch that. on. What else should we know about this week? Bucket hats. 
<laughs> right. Bucket hats are back. Berets are gone. Goodbye, berets. So a bucket hat, they're canvas hats, typically made of like a quite a strong material, so it might be denim or something like that. And you have a sloping brim, sort of like wide brim, and they can sort of fold up and you can put them in your pocket and that kind of thing. But okay. the famous mo- example. Famous, the most famous example, yeah. I think for most people, is Liam Gallagher, Kangol hat. According to Giles Farnham from River Island Style Studio, he's saying that these are making a huge comeback. So they've got uh, endorsements from like Louis Vuitton and Justin Bieber, and they're wearing these style hats for the summer. So this is a summer trend. But I look at them. It's a weird world we're in where you just say those two names like they're linked. Yeah. Louis Vuitton and Justin Bieber. I don't know that this is true, but let's just throw Drake in there as well because he's probably going to wear one. He seems to be on trend with everything. If he's (laughs) he's finished playing Fortnite yet, then he'll be wearing a twat hat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's definitely going to be wearing one. That's my prediction. He's going to be wearing one with in the next two weeks fine Hmm? what's different this time then nothing oh okay apart from the price check this out so the (laughs) champion x beams bucket hat right which is just a bucket hat yeah with you know the champion champion isn't it weird that champions just suddenly come back they're quite a big deal now so weird like feeler yes come on i know yeah 55 pounds don't they just price things at 55 pounds so that they can then put them in the sale at 15 quid though and you think you're getting a bargain whereas actually it costs them two pounds well probably and i'd imagine that it's the kind of hat i'm going to see on sale in tk maxx anyway yeah personally i hate this trend and if i see anybody wearing this hat i'm gonna be frowning to go back a few weeks though can you wear it with a mullet I mean, is that the ultimate summer 2018 look Ooh, that mullet, we're predicting? Yeah, mullet, mullet and, bucket. and bucket hat. Oh, if somebody, right. If somebody's Hanson festival, have rocked that at some stage. I just want someone to send me that picture. That's <laughs> got to be, someone's got to be wearing that at a festival. Okay, it's time to catch up on uh, your challenge and how you fared when man fan Charlie challenged you to come to Brixton to perform at her spoken word evening. Now, when we spoke last week, you didn't actually know really what a spoken word event was. No. In my head, I thought it was going to be sort of like poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, where you sort of half rap, half poetry kind of thing. Yeah, bad poetry. Bad poetry. Yeah. But when I turned up, Charlie was there. I met with Charlie and she said, yeah, all we want you to do is tell a story. Something that's happened to you, sort of, you know, your own personal experience. We don't want you to script it. We don't want you to think about it, rehearse it, nothing like that. We just want you to go onto the stage and talk as if you're chatting to people in a pub. Yeah, it's easier said than done, isn't it? I bet most people who do that have practiced at home, like even if they don't write it down. Well, you say that. So I obviously didn't know that I was going to do it, that I was doing it yeah. until you told me. We genuinely, some, some listeners have expressed surprise about this, mm-hmm. but we genuinely, Ollie's reaction, as you heard on the show last week, was real. We, we recorded the Zeitgeist last week and then gave him three hours to get to Brixton and perform a, a, a spoken word evening. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it. I'd have been shaking myself. I genuinely was really nervous. And yeah. I was re- like so nervous. I had immediately on my arrival at the venue in Brixton, I had two pints. I just needed to Always have Always good, isn't it? Yeah. Before a performance. And it helped what so much. everyone says. Really? Yeah, yeah, Judy Dench is a fan. It was great. <laughs> and, and, well, and Charlie said as well, she goes, well, what I'll do is I've got a couple of others that have got stories that they want to tell, so I'll put them on first so you can see what it's like, mm. the kind of reaction you're going to get, and then you go up. And she's like, look, it's not stand-up comedy. You don't have to be funny. You just need to tell a story. And, cause you I was just a, need to be engaging, compelling, yeah, memorable. Exactly. And uh, full of pathos. Yeah. Easy. So, um... I was concerned that it was going to be a bit like a bear pit and people would heckle at you, but there was none of that. What so, was the audience like? I'm imagining a lot of beards. 
a real mix. Young, old, straight, gay, the lot. Like, yeah, and, and- but I, I reckon if Jacob Rees-Mogg had turned up to do a story, he wouldn't have been that well received. Is uh, that fair to say? Yeah, well, you say that. There, there was a chap that was there who turned up who was on, on that side of the spectrum. Oh, really? I would say. Yeah, and he uh, went on stage telling, uh, telling a story about uh, <laughs> when he worked for a finance company. Oh, okay. Because the theme was bosses. So we okay. talk about bosses. Oh, God, goes, there's a theme. There was a theme, bosses, yeah. Oh. You know, he was like, right, yeah, it's not a very long story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> How did he go down with the audience? I think most people hated him. Were the audience a little bit Greenpeace? That's what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Fine. And that was fine. Though. Yeah, they it was really fine. Nice. It's a storytelling it event in Brixton. I'm yeah. just trying to depict who was there. Yeah, okay. Fine. Yeah. But it was definitely that. Yeah. Greenfields at Glastonbury audience. Mm-hmm. But respectful, I imagine. So in that way, 100%. not daunting. No. No. And lovely group of people. Exactly. Yeah. It was almost like a therapy session for some of them. They were just venting about their experiences. Who told the best story? I think I did. <laughs> of course. Who told the second best story? It's a chap called George uh-huh. who was there on a date. And the the girl that he was with had been to quite a few of these events, but she'd never actually got up and told a story. And I think he was like, well, I'm going to get up and tell a story. And he got up and he told an amazing story, and I'll cut it very brief, about him in Brazil at the age of 15 after being on a surf trip and shitting in a street in front of a load of Brazilians. And he basically had his shorts full of poo. And how was that related to a boss? Uh, Because he was with his surf instructor, who was his boss teacher. What story did you tell? Well, my other half, Pip, was my boss. That's good. Yes. So That's fun. I told Wait, a love story. Was she your boss when you got it on? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. How, what, in what, can you say what company? Uh, yeah, because they don't exist anymore. They're right. called Descent International. They're a ski company. Uh-huh. Uh, and we, yeah, we met in the French Alps. But the story Wait, was... In what capacity? Was she your line manager? She was my manager. Yeah. And I was the assistant manager. She was my manager. So really, she was acting unprofessionally... By getting it on with you, rather than, I mean, from your point of view, Good point. you were just making your way up the career ladder. But I tried to impress her, and the story was about, weirdly, after the little George uh, George story, mine was about getting covered in shit as well. I didn't shit myself. Okay. I actually ended up under a sewage pipe, which had poo and also used tampons that were falling onto me. And did that go down well with the audience, or were they kind of like, oh, we've heard one getting covered in shit story already today? Well, mine actually came first. Oh, brilliant. So, but, but, oh, no, you yeah. shat on George's shit story. Well, George came up to me. Here you go. He came up to me after I told my story. He and said, he let's goes, form a new collective of people telling stories about shit. No, he heard me talking about, I was chatting to Charlie, and I said, actually, that was really good fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And George came up and goes, I heard what you were saying, and uh, you've inspired me to tell a story. Oh, God, he really ad-libbed it. Yeah. That's I, impressive. I couldn't just sit I ins- there and go, right, I'm going to stand up and tell this story. Well, what's impressive? Me inspiring somebody or him telling the story? Well, both, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm pretty inspirational, aren't I? So, okay, so you were nervous when you were sitting in the audience. Proper. When you got on stage, because mm-hmm. you're not a performer, but you are a presenter and you do talk in front of Mike and we do, do ad-lib. And I've, I've presented on TV. I've done all that kind of yeah. stuff. Did you feel more relaxed once you were up and talking? Yeah, I'm a bloody natural, Ollie. <laughs> I'm bloody natural. But were you a bit nervous? Were you like halfway through and that voice in your head was saying, oh, this isn't very good, really? Uh, There was a little bit of that, particularly when somebody at the back picked up their phone and started sifting through whatever it was they were Mm. sifting through. I was like, come on, this isn't the time for personal admin. Have a little respect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, once you were done, Mm -hmm. did you have that high of adrenaline and performance? Genuinely, you get off the stage and you're like, that was incredible. I want to go up there and do it again. And I, oh no, I'm probably causing, creating problems for myself. I quite like the idea of now trying stand-up comedy. Right, Christ. Yeah, because the difference with that audience, it wasn't the bear pit. It wasn't heckling. They're yeah. not going to heckle a story about someone telling a horrible experience about their boss at work. Yeah. You're not going to go, yeah, but you're a loser, mate. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to do that. But I quite like the idea of going somewhere and the audience engaging with me in that way and going, oi, you bearded twat. 
Do you? Yeah, quite. I, I mean, don't know. I quite like the idea of putting you through the embarrassment of trying to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, maybe wait a couple of episodes. Yeah, I'm not okay. quite ready for it. Well, I think you've manifested that idea in plenty of our listeners' minds. So, mm. if you would like Ollie to try that out, do get in touch. What about for the audience, though? I imagine the majority of people there didn't get up and tell a story. So, do you think it was an entertaining evening for them? Do you think it's a legitimate trend as a night out? Yeah, I do. And what's good about it? So, you're you're sharing your experiences with people, not through sort of social media or anything like that and you get an instant reaction mm. so you're telling a story you're in control of the microphone so people aren't shouting back at you so it's like a one-way thing if you like although you are getting you know immediate reaction in terms of their faces and that kind of thing and um i think it's a great platform for people to share their stories and there were some really interesting stories that make you laugh and you also hear stories that aren't particularly entertaining but they don't have to be and you kind of think oh yeah i can relate to that i know what you're talking about mm. and this is where the therapy side of it comes in and the event itself is called Spark. And the reason it's called Spark is because you spark off other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And there were four people signed up to talk originally. And by the end of it, I think maybe 10 people went up on stage. So, wow. you know, that's and that, that's people turning up not knowing they're going to talk. And there's a podcast of that one as well, isn't there? There is, yeah, the Spark podcast. Okay, time for this week's challenge. Let's pass you the digital envelope. Blippity blop. This comes from Hayley, who says... I'd like Ollie to explore the world of fashion resale by buying something from a clothing drop. Drop? A clothing drop, yeah. And seeing how much he can make from it. Now, I don't know quite what a clothing drop is. No. But I think what it is, is um, I've been filling in for presenters at the weekend on Magic Radio, and they're based in Golden Square in London, and it's just round the corner from Carnaby Street. Right. And there's some shop on Carnaby Street. I don't know which one it is. I think they sell skater gear or something. Yeah. And there is a queue. It doesn't matter what show I'm covering, whether I'm there at nine in the morning, seven in the morning, five in the afternoon, there is always a queue, like for Planet Hollywood in the 90s, of a load of teenagers desperate to get into this clothing shop. And I think that's what they're doing. I think they're doing a clothing drop. Right, okay, as in stock arriving and people buy it out. I think it's like limited edition trendy clothes for teenagers. Right. And I think, this is all inference, I don't know, but I think the trend is that kids actually buy this stuff basically to sell it on. Is this like Black Friday or go in and get punched in the head? Like trying to get hold of a Supreme T-shirt or something. Exactly that. Um, but I think there'll also be the element of it being a bit unsettling because you'll be 20 years older than everyone else and everyone's suspecting you of grooming. So there'll be that going on too. Great. It's funny because we were talking, weren't we, in this episode about Champion. Yeah, Champion. That is, that is part of it, isn't it? Are they a French brand? Is that is it? you supposed to say it, Champion? Do you know what? I don't know. Right, well, we'll find out. They look like an old school tennis brand, don't they? Um, <laughs> so anyway, basically you're going to find out what millennials are wearing and what this resale drop business is all about. Yeah. Okay? You up for that? You can make some money, Ollie, and then I, you can invest it yeah, all okay, in. Yeah, uh, okay. Like, yeah, but every time you've promised me that I'm going to make money, it's just been really complicated. And also, I'm you just ended up incredibly spending money confused. on gambling. Yeah, I just, I'm just confused. <laughs> I'm confused by it all. You're so, somehow, this money that you'll make will end up in the hands of Paddy Power. We don't understand how it happens. <sighs> um, <laughs> uh, enjoy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Natasha from Remy Hair Club and these are my three life hacks on how to wear a wig in 2018. Wigs are brilliant to protect your hair and it's really nice to be able to change up your style whenever you want something new. My first tip is to ask yourself how committed are you to wearing a wig? Why are you wearing it? Do you want it for a night out or two? Then doesn't have to be something crazy expensive unless you can afford it but if you go for something cheap it's generally synthetic whereas if you go for human hair you can get a 
lot more longevity and accessibility with it meaning you can use heat or whatever you would do with your natural hair you can do with this wig if this is your first wig i would go for possibly a closure wig it's a lot easier to maintain a lot easier to wear it's just as accessible as a lace front tip number two is it appropriate for the season if it's going to be scorching hot outside you do not want to be wearing a very heavy long wig because you will be sweating so i suggest you go for something that is season appropriate whether it's synthetic or human they're both light but it depends on the volume you want so you can have say two to three hundred grams but if you wanted it really voluminous that's when the weight comes in and that's when the heat also comes in Tip number three is to just have fun wearing wigs. Instagram is just like the number one spot to go to find inspiration, find ideas, find companies. People you may have not even realized are wearing wigs are wearing wigs because they're just the in thing to change up your style in five minutes. For more information, you can always hit me up on my Instagram handle, which is at Remy Hair Club, or you can check out more wigs on my website, which is remyhairclub.com for any more hints and tips. How would you describe your perfect evening in? A bottle of booze in a box set or loading up the dishwasher? Nicola Lewis from Essex found she simply couldn't do one without the other. By day, she had a 20-year career as an investment banker, but by night, she unwound by organising and cleaning her home. She told me she can trace this interest, some would say obsession, right back to her childhood and her family's routine of cleaning up at the weekends. Every Sunday morning, the whole family would spend the, like, the morning sorting the house out. So I remember my dad polishing all the shoes for the week, and they'd be on the newspaper. Me and my sister would have little jobs, you know, cleaning. I know it sounds for cleaning the silver, but, I mean, we lived in Walthamstow. You know, it was like christening gifts. It wasn't like candlesticks and stuff. So, for example, like your front room, I would make sure the controllers are away all the cushions are plumped I'd make sure that anything that was out of its place or didn't belong in that room was taken out of that room I'd shut the door I'd go in the kitchen put the dishwasher on overnight so then in the morning you're looking at me really oddly like well <laughs> only because I, I, I get that that would be a pleasant place to wake up in yeah because but the joy of you know eating a takeaway pizza on the sofa and leaving yeah. it on, on the, the sofa, sofa after you've had a drink going to bed not washing the dishes no. is, is a small pleasure of my life I don't do it all the really? time but to me it's not fun to tidy up before I go to bed I don't mind coming down in the morning and having to do some washing up because yeah. you know life's tough anyway you have to get up <laughs> yeah well that's that's the difference then definitely with you and I I mean don't get me wrong there are times when and in fact when these times do happen um, chaos and stress enters the home and I can't cope with it so for example like a family party and we have loads of people over I love having fun and then once everyone's gone both my husband and I have the same kind of condition that we'll look around and think holy shit who is tidying this up because we are drunk yes sometimes we have gone to bed and left it and woken up and that's when we've probably had an argument around <laughs> got really stressed the next morning because we've just seen stuff everywhere okay. okay you had an organized life 
you had a satisfying job from the point of financial mm. position yeah. at least. What changed? So I got made redundant. I was told I was getting three months guardian leave and thank you, goodbye. I mean, I was thinking, great, it's Christmas. I was, my head was literally engaged for Christmas fun. You know, didn't really think about it until after Christmas Day. And I thought, I haven't got a job. What am I going to do? How old are you at this point? I'm 41 at that point. Oh, wow. Before I got made redundant, I was actually off sick for eight months because I had a nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, I'd been pushed and pushed and pushed and it was no fun. Was it just burning the candle at both ends? It was the expectation to be 10 out of 10 all the time. And also the hours and managing with two children. You know, I had two smallish children at home. I was trying to be, you know, the fun, fab mum, as well as being the professional investment banker, earning a fabulous wage. And something had to give. And my health obviously suffered. Mm. But did you feel a bit like you were playing a part? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough thing to do for 18 years. Yeah. Okay, so you thought, right, I'm going to follow my passion. January hit us. There was a campaign that started, I think, in 2015 called This Girl Can. Yeah, kind of female empowerment thing, right? That's it. I've got it here. It's a celebration of women doing their best no matter what. It's inspiring all women to get out and exercise. Okay. So no matter what size you was, no matter what age you was, to get out there and do your best. And I don't know why... But I remember writing it down in my notepad because I am a, also a note taker. So if I see things that inspire me, wherever I may be, I'm always writing them down and it will link to something eventually. Is that your latest notebook in front of you? It's one of them. Yeah. I've got about 30 at home. Wow. On the go. Is there a fire very stif- There is. <laughs> what is it? Colour? Colour. Chronology as well or just colour? Just colour. Right. Yeah. And then it just was a light bulb moment and it came up and it was like, this girl can organize and from that moment I started writing thinking of the bigger picture so when you say started writing blog posts and stuff you mean no um writing kind of procedures and the for your own methodology yeah what was the first assignment you had the first assignment wasn't scary at all it was fantastic it was a lady contacted me from my Instagram page so she said oh hi I see that you do organizing I'd like you to help I suffer with fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. which she finds difficult to get kind of getting organized and moving and gets tired and had loads of clutter and was in a real mess and just wanted a kind of general review of the whole house and how she could get everything organized which is obviously a massive job but is that a euphemism for wanted your help throwing half of her stuff away maybe because yeah. I, I imagine getting organized really means going through each item and saying do you need this so before you get organized you have to get rid of the clutter you can't organize around clutter it's impossible um, that's what a lot of people try to do and then get themselves in a right old mess so for me it was just diagnosing areas of saying you've got do you want to keep this is this something you enjoy looking at is this something that you want have you used it in the last two years have you used it in the last two years Mm. okay so then if the answer to that is no of course I haven't it's a theatre ticket from when I was a teenager yeah but I've kept it for sentimental reasons what's your answer to that so that's absolutely fine because I'm all for that if that's something that brings a smile to you then that's great either showcase it somewhere 
or put it in a memory box so you can reflect at it at various times but just don't have it hanging around so a memory box yeah. is what like a like a, a posh cardboard box basically kind of yeah, i mean it could be as small or as large as you like really but i tend to go through with a person to say exactly why are you keeping this mm. and for what reason because generally it's an emotional attachment mm. and it's that thing of having drawers stuffed with random bits isn't it that's yeah. the hard thing well that's because there's there's not a place there's not a home for them mm. that's why it's kind of shit. so is it Someone's making a home for everything definitely i mean I, i'm thinking to my parents house because that's yeah. where there's really in my like my my childhood bedroom yeah there's a game boy from 1994 fabulous get it on ebay you'll get about 70 quid <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is i know it's there yeah that's why it came to mind. Yeah. I guess in the back of my head, I'm thinking maybe one day when my kid is 15, I'll show he him my old Game it. Boy. Yeah. Is that a legitimate reason to keep it? Or because I haven't used it for 20 years, should it go away? Again, that's something my husband and I are exactly the same. We have a few things from when we were children, like Walkmans. Remember the like the triangle Walkmans? Mm. I've still... got a yellow Sony Sports one. So Two headphone ports. Yeah. You got that one? Yeah. Waterproof. Yeah. What a machine. We've got a few various bits up in the loft, but we've got them in two boxes one of them says my husband's name my name yeah I think something like that definitely you know keep the things that definitely keep make you smile but if you're keeping hold of it for just keeping sake then no it has to go or be laid out somewhere okay show so, but off. Then, there has to go bit I'm interested in as well mm. because a classic gaming machine might be worth something on eBay yeah you know a bit of curtain fabric but it belonged to my grandmother won't yeah do you literally throw it in the bin? No. So you're saying the curtain fabric you've got and it's an emotional attachment and yeah, you want yeah, to keep example, it. Yeah, Well, I can imagine someone being ambivalent about it, like not yeah. wanting it, don't, yeah. not thinking it's a nice pattern. Of course. But they remember where it came from yeah. and they don't want to throw it away. What do you say to them? Okay, so I try to say that if they can try and use it somewhere in the home, so tr try and think of something creative that where they can actually show it off, because if it means something to them, then it should be out. It mm. should be out for all to see. Once you start getting into the discussion, the person then goes, oh, I'm being silly. I don't need to keep hold of this. Mm. It's never my decision to tell them what to do. But How long might a project be? So for that particular lady, that was two weeks. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was so satisfying though. Why? Because I mean, it was, was a big old house. No, no, no. It wasn't. It was actually a normal, just a normal three-bedroom house. The satisfying thing was that the joy in my client's face and the fog that it had removed from her head, all the clutter, the fact that there were systems in place. It was, you know, things had homes, and she had learnt as well. She's also said that you know, that she was overbuying and she didn't know why she was overbuying. But now she realised that she doesn't need three kettles and she didn't realise that she had 15 bottles of bleach because every time she was going to the supermarket, okay. she'd buy a bottle of bleach. That's a great example. Mm. I'm just fascinated by the practical thing of what you do with the other 13 bottles of bleach once you've kept one in the kitchen and one in the bathroom. Yeah. What do you literally do with the so other 13 bottles of bleach? This is like a real big task. So what I do, so for example, in this situation, we took everything out of the kitchen cupboards, which can cause people to have any kind of anxiety or panic because it's just like mess everywhere. But mm. you have to do it clean all inside the cupboards and then you can then review what needs to stay like keep donate or throw 
So they're the three kind of factors that that's what I use. Okay. So is that your way of saying that 13 bottles of bleach ended up in the bin? No, they didn't. You got them donated? No, she kept them. She kept 13 bottles of bleach? She kept 13 (laughs) bottles of bleach. (laughs) And I'll tell you how we did it. What we did is we put various things back. She donated a lot to her charity, local charity, which gave her a lot more room in her kitchen cupboards. And the 13 bottles of bleach were all in a row. And she just said, well, do you know what? I'm going to start doing shopping lists from now on Mm. of what I need because I can see now everything was in rows in her kitchen, all the food. So instead of looking in a cupboard under the sink and going, oh, what do I need? What have I run out of? You can't see because of the clutter, the mess, the abundance of products. She had them all in a row and she was using them. And as they were using, they were coming down. And so she kept them and she she did obviously move them into the two bathrooms. So she had 11 in there. And what about helping someone who's been bereaved? I imagine that comes up a lot as well. I've had two clients I've worked with. And that's something very special, actually, because in these particular circumstances, we're all going to have to face dealing with some kind of bereavement. And whether our parents, family or partner, you know, sorting out their belongings is hard. The two clients I worked with both were parents' homes. One was relatively empty-ish, really, and we just had to... I organised the removal of furniture and getting the house ready, prepared for the open market. So that was pretty kind of easy. I mean, there was obviously emotional attachment and the client was upset, Mm. saying farewell to, you know, a home she grew up in. The other one was very different. It was full of stuff, a late dad had kept everything and so that was really quite distressing for her how recently had she been bereaved i think it was a month the thing that was the hardest was the photographs the going through their clothes and again a photograph i mean maybe this is a better example than a bottle of bleach yeah my my father died a couple of years ago Mm. and he was a photographer in his early 20s so he had thousands of photos throughout his life he took photos of everything Lovely. And he sold vintage cars for a living, so he had mm. thousands of photos of vintage cars. How many does it is it reasonable to say that you want to keep? I mean, yeah. of course. Have you got them all now? Well, so I kept all. an example of every type of thing that he took a picture of. Yeah, nice. But when it gets to, here's the 10th picture of his mother, mm. you know, ultimately, I can't donate that. I mean, okay, yes, there's his sister or whatever. Of course, I can give some away. But basically, they yeah. have to go in the bin. Some people actually donate old photographs. There is a shop actually in Notting Hill, I can't think of the name, and they they actually sell old photos because people buy them and put them up. That's creepy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they do, they use them. But again, you've got the wonderful digital world now where they actually can put your photos in Bob books. Yes. So they're quite good and they also slim things down and you can actually maybe select a few of your favourite images. Mm. But for her, she took them all, and that was her choice. She's obviously going to sort through that. But it was literally having someone there beside her to go through them. And she said at the end, I could never have done this without someone who didn't know us. Yeah, because I think even if you are the organised person in a family, if it's your family, you're still saying basically... We you need to chuck away dad's ties. Yeah, you won't. You wouldn't say that, I don't think. Yeah. I think you would be quite, I want to keep that until I'm ready. Yeah. You know, some people like to keep clothes to smell. Mm. I know I did. When my grandma died, I've got one of her cardigans. Mm. And for, you know, the first year of her departing us, I did used to smell it. I used to, you know, it was her smell. We all do funny things, I suppose. But, yeah, bereavement is... Um, 
as awful as it is, I actually really enjoy doing those because I really generally see the benefit and the impact it has on people and it just takes away a lot of the stress. There's also that thing of unfortunately fashion's changing you know in the last 40 years or so ikea and habitat and whatever people have liked kind of modern scandinavian style furniture generally yeah. speaking yes so if you inherit a big old house full of stuff that in the 1960s mm. was an antique mm. and cost you know in, in real terms now whatever 500 pound for a table if you mm. try and sell that table now they'll mm. say oh it's not flame retardant and it's yeah it's worth 50 quid yeah that's hard for people, that's isn't it? That's really hard. What do you do with all this stuff that no one wants to buy anymore? Well, for the bereavement, it, we literally sat and went through all the items and we decided that things that were special that they were going to take, they took. And the other things I listed on local selling sites and they weren't, I was there managing that. So people would come over and, you know, would sell, you know, a G-plan table mm. 50 quid and they'd come in and get that and she was like that's great that's and that must be satisfying for you as well because that kind of pays your fee I guess as well yeah. as if you sell enough of the stuff well that's it and that's what I try to do with clients as well I try to emphasise obviously they're what they pay me you know at first it seems you know oh gosh we've got to pay her this daily rate but then I also try to give them something back so if they can sort of benefit from selling other things on whether it be eBay or Depop or local selling sites then then great what have you uncovered maybe a bizarre collection or an unusual item where you've just thought i do, I tell do them. not know what to do with this yes i've had loads of those well give us some examples i can't oh come on oh well i mean bedside drawers yeah yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> what do you find in your bedside drawer when i'm organizing bedside drawers and the client has ordered <laughs> you know clear organizers to go inside them and then i have to empty them out and find various things that you would have in a bedside drawer then that's the next day i was out buying gloves right purely for that reason yeah. so now i wear gloves when i'm good sorting tip <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny what something is important to like an object that's important to some person and you just don't think it's much at all mm. you know I was sorting through someone's makeup and I was informing them of the hygiene you know that after three months you must get rid of a mascara after a year you must get rid of a of a lipstick because of the hygiene and this lipstick I'd recognized the packaging from the 80s it mm. had a Clinique lipstick and I rec recognized the packaging and I literally nearly went oh I remember this before I said it I thought oh god I could help like really upset her mm. And I said, oh, she said, oh, it's my favourite colour and they don't sell it no more. And at that point, I didn't say anything further because she hasn't, her lips are still there. They haven't you know, got any <laughs> diseases or spots or anything all over them. What is the oldest tinned good you found at the back of a cupboard? Spices are the ones. Oh, my God. My mum's got spices that I remember from being a kid. But presumably, I mean, they don't taste of anything, but presumably they're not going to kill you, are they? They're not going to kill you, but they're not going to taste like pudding sawdust on yeah. your food <laughs> yeah. I mean they, it's surprising actually they're the things that we go in, we always buy in a supermarket and we go oh yeah we need that we need that with that and then you put them up there and you forget you've even got them oh, I buy them for a recipe that's the problem that's it and you I use can't them remember once. yeah and I'm in the supermarket why do they make them so cloves. big as well do I need do I have cloves at home I don't know yeah, I can't I, check my, my question is, is please don't make them so large you know maybe reduce the size and you've spent a lot of time in people's houses what are the trends that you've noticed at the moment that are actually affecting real people's 
homes. Okay. So um, in homes, I've seen a lot more bolder colours and patterns and designs, which is really nice, actually. The richer colours or the richer palettes are really what is going forward in terms of interior design. Um, Why do you think that is? I think people aren't afraid of making a statement now. They want to make a statement. It's kind of, I think Instagram has inspired us to be more, you know, out there or check out my wall with my vintage sideboard and my uh, aloe vera plant with these designer prints. You know, it's all an image. It's all a wow factor, I suppose. Gold is having a massive, massive impact on a lot of homes as well, which is funny because I think we've gone through a massive chrome stage. Do you know everything? You're walking into any any mm. shop, John Lewis, B&Q, wherever, and everything's chrome. Gold is like coming back. Gold's back. Dynasty style. The chrome monochrome and grey is just... I mean, I was recently at the Ideal Home Show, so 30-minute slots with different people coming for advice on how to home style or how to declutter, and it was really amazing. But what highlighted to me was a lot of people when I'd say to them, well, what's your favourite colour? And they'd say, grey. And I was like, is it really? Is it grey is your favourite colour? And they're like, well, um, I like green, but I want the house grey. Mm. You know, the colours that make you smile and the things that make you happy, that just shows your personality. Mm. If you've got something in there that was a grandma's chest or a new Ikea lamp on top of it and bright blue parrot, you know, from HomeSense or something, then brilliant. If all of those things make you smile, fantastic. I think there is that pressure out there to have this completely styled home. And I think it's rubbish. I think that you should just have things in your home that you're going to use and are for their own purpose can you declutter a house too much if someone gets obsessed with all these instagram accounts and pinterest things and things right i'm going to keep organizing and keep organizing does it actually yeah. become unhealthy i mean i ha- i do follow a couple of accounts you know i mean it's all fair and well being neat and tidy and organized but it looks quite sterile mm. it looks like no one actually lives there you know, you walk into a showroom and I never, whenever I've looked around show houses with my parents are currently looking to move house and I just think this is not realistic at all. And watch when you next go in there, they never have a TV in the front room. Mm. They stage the furniture in such a clever way. And then when people buy the houses, they're like, okay, we're going to put the TV there and we now can't put the sofa there because that's what my grandma says where are you going to put your clothes the yeah. first question she always says about any rooms like, where's the wardrobe though yeah and I think that the clever the interior designers for these new builds because they they do this all the time there are some accounts out there that I worry that people that look at them and think that that is reality and it's really not and I I hope for this girl can organize can just bring a little bit more reality that it's okay to just be yourself and tidy how you want to tidy and all I'm here for is just to guide and inspire you in a positive way really Nicola Lewis you can find more from her at thisgirlcanorganise.com still to come our record of the week and Alex Fox is up next after this Spring has well and truly sprung and along with it the Bouncy, perky Alex Fox. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? Uh, I 
have been sent, as I am almost every week, a weird thing in the post. Do you want to know what this this week's strange sexually linked object is? She's holding Polly? up a bottle of potion of some description. It's a potion. It's a lotion. It's a lubricant infused with shiitake extract. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, and I haven't tried this yet, but I will report back in future, the shiitake extract in this lube is supposed to make it feel more soft and um, sort of velvety and give it a give it a, like a really nice luxurious feel mm-hmm. and it's supposed to have um, properties which are beneficial to the skin and I am seeing this increasingly in lubricants rather than them just uh, making sex slippery and slidey and, and comfortable and fun uh, they're also now having additional benefits to actually help improve vaginal or, or general genital health. Uh, it's time for our listener question sponsored as ever by our friends at mycondom.com who stock mates skin elite condoms uh, that now, doesn't sound like a weird one Alex <laughs> you picked a mainstream <laughs> product to highlight this week well it is a bit weird that they're called mates I always think that's odd like before you have sex slip one of your mates on your penis <laughs> but mate skins are a famous brand of condoms made of polyisoprene a non-latex uh, next generation manufactured material mm. so it's good for people with allergies but it's also ultra soft ultra stretchy and really really good at conducting body heat so it's one of the best materials out there if you're someone who wants to wear a condom without feeling like you're wearing a condom and mate skin elites are even thinner than the original versions so it's basically going to feel like you've got a ghost on your dick (laughs) excellent and the listener question this week is from chris who says alex i was just reading an article about the true size of the clitoris as a large internal organ i'm a trans man uh, okay, so that's someone who was born female, now identifies male. Yeah, you got it, Ollie. Uh, and while I'm very aware of how our external clit grows when taking testosterone, I was just wondering if there's any evidence of internal growth. I'm kind of assuming there isn't, because of course scientists wouldn't spend their time researching this. But if anyone had looked into it, I'd be really fascinated to know. Ooh, I'm fascinated by this question too. But let's kick off by talking about the structure of the clitoris, which is rather like an iceberg. Is it? The bits that you can see on the outside, which are called the clitoral glands, and then the little hood that goes over it, Mm. they are just the tip of this genitalial iceberg going on. The majority of the clitoral structure is actually hidden inside the body. And it it can't be seen, can it? It can't be... Not an, without surgery, I mean. No, no, yeah. not not unless you're performing a, a dissection upon yeah. somebody, which I don't recommend as sure. a sexual move, no. I've actually brought along a picture of a model of a clitoris. Can you tell me what you think that looks like, Ollie? Uh, a bit like a squid or a sort of massager. I always think it looks like a seagull flying with particularly pendulous breasts. Sure. There are several internal structures. Now, I'm going to try and do my best to describe this. If you imagine that the clitoris is in the middle of the body, then there are two main legs that run down either side that run uh, that run inside the labia. Uh, they are called the crews of the clitoris, and they, and they are they are kind of they're like little limbs. They See Rob Brighton advertising that. <laughs> <laughs> then, in addition to these, there are two bulbs that hang down, and they are actually called bulbs. Don't try and plant them; fuck knows what would grow. But all of this tissue is spongy, erectile tissue. 
tissue, it fills with blood, it gets more plumped up and engorged when somebody is turned on, and it makes the whole of the genital area much more sensitive. So actually when um, surgeons do construct penises for people that were born women, that's the erectile tissue they use, is it, or part of it? Actually, no, it's not. No. There are various different surgeries that trans people, if they choose to, can undergo to build themselves a penis if they're an FTM or female to male trans person. Lots of them actually take flesh from either the leg or the arm or both to build the external part of the penis. In some of those surgeries, uh, some of the ligaments kind of holding the clitoral glands in place are cut so it hangs down further into the new penis, the neopenis, which has been built from other parts of the body. It's very, very complicated surgery that often has to be performed in multiple parts. So you don't just go into hospital once. You have to go in, have surgery part one done, let it heal, go back in, have surgery part two. This is one of the reasons that I get quite upset when I see people in the media referring to trans people. So there are people who've undertaken this decision to live in a different gender on a whim. If you're a trans person who does choose to have surgery, and not all do, it is not an easy undertaking. It is years and years of preparation, both psychologically and physically. But it's way before surgery, isn't it, that someone might start on hormonal therapy? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this, Chris is saying that he's taken testosterone and the external clit that he's talking about there, that he's talking about a lady's clitoris then gets longer... Yes. The first port of call, if you will, to changing your body physically, if you wish to, as a trans person, is often hormonal injections or putting hormones into your body. Uh, For female to male trans people, that involves injecting testosterone into your bum, usually. And this has a, a number of effects on the body. It makes your face shape change, so your jaw becomes wider and more masculine, if you will. Uh, it causes hair to grow on your face, on your chest. You know, you get more body hair. Uh, I also spoke to a trans man friend of mine who said that he really noticed that his shoulders got broader to the point where for a long time, when he was just starting his hormone therapy, he was really spooked. He kept thinking that there was someone behind him because he was catching sight of his own larger shoulders out of his out of the corner of his eye and he thought he was being followed. Uh, and one of the other physical effects that testosterone has upon the body is that it makes the external part of the clitoris grow. Um, most medical information says by about one to three centimetres, but anecdotally trans friends have told me that theirs have got a lot bigger. Um, what Chris has asked is, does testosterone make the inside parts of the clitoris grow as well? Now, he is right when he says that it's unlikely that there is much scientific or academic information on this. Unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of studies into the uh, internal structure of the clitoris in cis women, that is uh, women who are born in female bodies and who identify as female. It's unfortunately not an area of research that has received a lot of attention in historically. And now, um, even now, when people are a bit more interested, thankfully, in female bodies and in clitorises, um, it's not an area where there's being a lot of money. So there is no official research that I could find that would tell me whether or not 
this was true, that the internal parts grow. I feel you're about to say but. But, but, I'm always going on about buts, aren't I? I spoke to some very famous trans friends of mine, including Buck Angel, who is one of the most well-known FTM or trans men porn stars. He is a trans man who has taken hormones but hasn't had surgery. So to the porn viewer, you're looking at someone with a male torso and ladies' genitals. Yeah, yeah. He he um, refers to himself both as the trampa because he's been around on the scene for so long. He's kind of like a, a granddad figure to many young trans men. Uh, and uh, also the guy with the pussy. He's, he's famous for being a, a very masculine looking person who has... Uh, in inverted commas, female genitalia. However, because he has taken testosterone, his clitoris externally is bigger than you might expect on on somebody who hasn't. He'd had lots of trans friends say to him that anecdotally they felt like the inside parts of their clitoris were more, more sensitive. I also chatted to a guy called Kip Slinger, who again is a really famous FTM porn star who has not undergone surgery. And he was chatting with me about uh, some of the surgical processes that can be performed which would appear to rely on there being more internal clitoris in order to make them work. It was quite a complex conversation we had but perhaps one of the most revealing chats I had was with uh, a trans guy named uh, DK Green and DK is a fantastic psychologist who specialises in helping people in the gender, sexuality, relationship and diversity community kind of chat about issues of, of this nature of trans Transitioning, of uh, having new sexual relationships as your body is changing, that sort of thing. So they're a real specialist in this type of thing. And what DK told me is that they have been taking testosterone themselves for about 18 months. And they said that prior to starting hormonal therapy, they had a really vivid imagination. They'd always identified as a, as a, a, a male kind of person. And they had always imagined what they called their spirit cock. So so even though they were born with a vagina and a clitoris, they'd always imagined that they did have a cock and balls. And by focusing really hard during their sexual experiences, whether they were using a strap on or, or not, they were able, they felt in their mind, to experience the sensations of their spirit cock. When they first started on testosterone, when they'd been on it for a few months, they started to notice real physical growth of the external parts of the clitoris. Uh, and and they also told me that um, they felt like their spirit balls were growing, if you will. And at first they were um, of the opinion that it must just be their vivid imagination at work again and, you know, be doing a really convincing job of... Uh, telling them filling that there the was blanks. more yeah, yeah yeah filling in the blanks precisely that however they noticed as their testosterone treatment went on that the lower parts of their labia behind which these hidden parts of the clitoris are nestled when they got turned on those lower parts would become more engorged and swollen much more so than they were used to before they were taking hormones mm. and also they would change color they would become darker deeper red shade filling with blood and the bodily experience that they were going through was very much like a guy becoming erect and, and they they generally noticed much more sensitivity much more engorgement not only in their new 
clit stroke penis that had grown, but in that entire downstairs region in all the places that correspond with the internal parts of the clitoris. But I suppose it's not that surprising, is it? Because a fetus has the capacity, doesn't it, to be either male or female, yes. depending on which hormones it ends up developing. Yeah, there are there is a certain degree of correspondence between female, in inverted commas, genitalia, and male. Mm. So it does make sense to me that in taking hormones to transition from one body type to another, those hormones would would affect all parts of the genitals and thus affect the sexual experience quite deeply. Fascinating, Alex. Thank you for that. Um, I don't know where we're going to end up journeying next week, but if you have a question (laughs) for Alex, then uh, what do you need to do with it? You need to toddle on over to modernman.co.uk. That's man with two N's and click feedback. And if you want to buy yourself some sexual protection... Visit mycondom.com. And use the code FOXHOLE, that's F-O-X-H-O-L-E, to get yourself 15% off everything on the site. Well, that is nearly it for this week's episode, but there is just time to appoint a new man ambassador. It is Matt in Hamburg, who says, I am American, but live with my German wife in Hamburg. Therefore, could I be your, dare I say, ambassador? Matt, it is yours. Hezliki Glukwunsche. Ask your wife what that means. If you'd like to be a ambassador or ambassador, uh, why not start by buying us a beer? Puts you right to the top of the queue. Modernmanwith2ends.co.uk slash beer. Uh, our theme is by Django Django. They have three excellent albums you should sample. And here comes our record of the week. It's by rising LA producer Hood Boy. And this is the third single from his upcoming EP, out May 22nd. It's called Long Distance, and it's available now on Fool's Gold Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you for our season finale next Tuesday. So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every week. Weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.